Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. Hello, Insider Nation. Welcome to InsideSalesEnablement.com, the only destination that is designed specifically for veteran sales enablement practitioners. Brian and I are doing our part to combat all of the fake news and snake oil peddlers and the deafening hype noise out there in the marketplace. We're excited to share with you yet another special edition episode as part of our State of Enablement study. Before turning it over to Brian to introduce our great panelists, let's review how we got here so far. In mid-March, we had an amazing COVID-19 response panel. That that included Dr. Howard Dover from the University of Texas, Dallas, Kunal Mehta, an executive at private equity firm TCV, and Lindsey Gore, who is a A rep salesperson at Microsoft uh, in the strategic accounts area, and her job was really to keep us all honest. (laughs) Uh, I love that. At any rate, if you'd like to listen to what motivated to our state of sales enablement study, go into our archives and listen to episode number 28, and pay particular attention, particular attention to the part where Kunal is talking about the need for sales enablement leaders to stitch together programs, how it's not happening in pretty much any company, and what kind of friction it creates from the point of view of investors. You're gonna hear what inspired this whole study, the state of sales enablement. So how, how do we get here? What we did is coming off of that insight, we decided, boy, we really need to investigate what's going on here. So we crafted a survey And the survey was really designed to capture the voice of sales enablement leaders. We had a 12 question surveys and most of them were open-ended questions. So if you know anything about building surveys, it's generally really, 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 I could go on, but I think you get the point, hard to get people to respond to open-ended questions, let alone a survey that's mostly subjective to start off with. So when we, when we fielded this, and we fielded it through my LinkedIn network, and Brian's, LinkedIn, Brian's also LinkedIn network, we thought this would be success if we got 25 responses. So of course, in typical sales manager fashion, I decided I'm going to double the quota on myself and said, we need to get 50 responses out in a week. So that first, the end of March, the first, the first few days of April, we fielded the study. So we wanted to get 25. I set the goal at 50. How many responses to this did we get? How do, what did you, Insider Nation, do? Did we get the 25 that, our, that was our target? Did we get 35? Like, you know, wow, that was good. We exceeded our target. Did we get the whole 50 that our goal is? No, none of those. You, Insider Nation, <laughs> gave us 70 responses within a week. Think about that, that's amazing. And it's all open-ended feedback, subjective feedback. Today, we've got 99 responses. Yes, some of us are the fashionably late crowd to parties. 
So that creates a high quality problem. How do you analyze 70 responses when you were planning on 25? This is a, almost a 300% uh, volume increase. How do you analyze all that? So we recruited or deputized, however you want to think of it, a guest analyst program. And what we're after and interested in are people who are veterans in the space or practitioners from all different walks of life or angles. So we've got CEOs from companies like Highspot, Seismic, and Showpad looking at, uh, looking at these responses and giving us input. We've got authors like Tamara Shank and uh, Eli Cohen who are giving us their perspective. We've interviewed, so far as of this recording, I've personally interviewed over 20 leaders, including uh, executives who run incredibly large departments and major multinational companies, which, which we'll hear about. Then what we wanted to do is, boy, these interviews are so rich and the perspectives are so great. We wanted to create a model to synthesize that information. So we created this idea of these panelists, these, these panels. So we get a group of, you know, basically you've heard that saying of uh, birds of a feather flock together. So we wanted to get people who are like-minded together and find areas where they agree. So the reason that we do these panels is one, we wanna be transparent with our research process. Two, we wanna get information out to you, Insider Nation, as quickly as possible so you can follow along with, uh, with the information as we get it. And three, we wanna tease out common themes across the entire community of sales and went so that when we're prepared, we have a really effective findings presentation on May 19th. Please mark your calendars, May 19th. 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, please visit www.insidese.com to register. You won't want to miss this event. Uh, I'm, I'm not, as of today, I'm not planning on sharing my slides or, or making a recording available, so please make sure you attend that. Okay, so what have we done so far in the terms of panels? So far, we've already published out our Enablement Experts panel, with Tamara Shank, Mike Kunkel, and Josie Mashburn. We've also published our sales experts panel of Skip Miller, Bob Apollo, and Steve Crapo. We will be publishing, so by the time this goes out, we will also have published our practitioners, uh, practitioners panel with Siobhan Thatcher, Imogen McCourt, and Doug Clower. One of the themes that's been emerging that's very fascinating is that sales enablement has a different texture, flavor, perspective based on your background. So what was interesting is the last panel, not a single one of them had a learning development or any kind of formal training experience, expertise whatsoever. And that tracks to my background. I have no L&D or professional training uh, background whatsoever, yet I was pulled into the sales, uh, sales enablement arena. So what's interesting is we want to provide the lens, the perspective of people who do have a strong L&D perspective. And with that, we asked Brian, who has much more of an L&D credentials and L&D than, than I do, uh, to, to pull together this panel that we've got. So to give you guys all an introduction about Brian, there's a reason I call him Dr. Brian Lambert. And the reason that I call him Dr. Brian Lambert is he's earned a PhD. I haven't. Most of you haven't. Uh, and what is his PhD is? It's in organizational behavior. He's written three books on sales process and actually ran the 
At the time it was called ASTD, most of us now know it as ATD, sales training practice. Those are the things that he did before we, uh, before he joined our team at Forrester. And the rest is, is, you know, I guess history. So Brian's pulled together a great, fantastic panel of people who definitely have an L&D background. Brian, could you introduce the, the, the people that you've pulled together for our experts for this panel, please? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Scott. I'm really excited about our panel today. I've known these guys for quite a long time, and they're all, interestingly enough, <laughs> based out of Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'm in Charlotte. So I guess we have the North Carolina crowd today, which was a bit of a, an interesting piece of uh, trivia for us. Uh, they're also members of and participating in the Sales Enablement Society. So that's, that's cool to me as well. The first person I'm gonna introduce is Barry Shields. I've known uh, Barry since 2006, actually when I was with ATD on senior staff. Um, when I launched that community of practice, which is now the sales enablement practice, I was doing global research uh, for a sales competency framework. And one of the folks that I reached out to was Barry. And since that time, uh, he's been great to really have discussions around everything from brain science to uh, how people learn. And also, um, when I was actually new in my, my new gig in a Fortune 50 company, I actually brought Barry in to run the, uh, the experience team uh, on my team. So Barry, Barry Shields, can you introduce yourself, please? Hey there, Brian. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Barry Shields. I'm uh, now with Avalara. Uh, Avalara is a company that computes sales tax in the cloud for retailers, both online and bricks and mortar. Um, and so I currently lead the end-to-end uh, -end learning function. Uh, three things, uh, a few things I haven't um, led before, both the learning architecture and design and development, but also this time around uh, leading the delivery side of the house also. Um, but I do that for our go live team or implementation consultants, if you will, um, for account managers, um, folks who manage the account after the initial sale and also for our customer support organization. Thanks, Barry. The next person is David Summers and uh, David and I have known each other for a couple of years now. I actually reached out to him as part of my my networking when I moved to, to North Carolina. And he was actually just starting his global enablement role at GitHub. And GitHub had made an investment and they brought in David to stand up sales enablement from scratch. So uh, that was a really uh, cool uh, position for him. And he's done a, a lot of work since then. And we've stayed in touch, especially around uh, building out sales enablement, building out a team, new hire training, et cetera. So David, so glad you're on the, the panel today. Can you introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Brian. And just quick clarification, uh, I'm with GitLab. I mean, we get it, we get the GitHub all the time. And it's, it's funny because that's actually part of our sales onboarding program of, uh, yeah, helping the sales team. How do they respond when somebody, you know, mistakens that they're from GitHub, which was purchased from uh, by Microsoft and the tune of $6 billion plus a little while ago. So GitLab is a private company. Uh, looking to go public later this year, or we'll see what the market conditions allow. But yeah, I lead um, our global field enablement team, which includes looking at how we help our uh, pre-sales and post-sales field roles be more productive, faster, accelerate their time to productivity, and help reach the desired outcomes for the sales organization. So that includes both um, from lead gen reps to the sales team, to solution architects, and to our technical account managers as well. 
Thanks, David. I appreciate that. And I guess I need to go through new hire training to learn, to learn that. I think you Sorry. just did. I think I just did. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for that. Sorry about that. All right. The next next awesome person is is Garth McKinney. And Garth is at Red Hat. And uh, we met through my company. Uh, we actually had some folks on his uh, sales team go through our sales management development program, interestingly enough, in, in South Africa. So one of those attendees... Um, introduced us to Garth here in the headquarters at, at, uh, at Red Hat. And him and I have done some great whiteboarding sessions around the sales manager role, how to partner with sales, um, the performance and expectations that are, you know, coming in. And also they're going through the IBM merger. So that's been uh, great to get to know Garth. And, and Garth, can you share a little bit about your background and, and welcome to the panel? Yeah, thanks, Brian. Um, I do work at Red Hat. Uh, we're an enterprise open source software company, um, and we were recently acquired by IBM. And so that's been really interesting as we've been, um, trans, you know, integrating in but staying separate, right? Because we are keeping our roots as an open source company while also working with IBM that has a lot of proprietary um, software. So it's this. It's been an interesting connection as we try to drive our culture forward and try to drive what made us famous um, while we're merging with this larger company. Uh, and that's really my role is a sales and services learning consultant uh, for Red Hat. So I work with the sales leadership to kind of understand what can we do from a behavior and from a skills learning and um, kind of mindset perspective in order to drive the performance of their teams. And this is at the leadership level for their teams as well as, as down to the sales teams uh, and everywhere in between. So that's what I do. Thanks so much, Garth. I appreciate it. And thanks, thanks everybody for joining. So my role on this is I'll, I'll be synthesizing at the end. I'm going to turn this over to Scott. And Scott, there you go, all from the, the tech industry, uh, members of SCS, uh, uh, the, the, the L&D background, and, and they're all in the space of developing their sales teams. That's fantastic. And I, I can't help but resist the vibe that I'm hearing, it sounds like the Raleigh chapter is calling out everybody else to say, get, you know, get in gear in, in terms of sales enablement society, get in gear, get, get active, get engaged. So maybe that's what's going on, but that's fantastic. I love competition. What we're going to do right now is each of our respondents has, have been, or each of our panelists have been given the responses. So the 70 a, a spreadsheet, organized of, of the information. And we're going to ask each of them very open-ended questions. So the first question, so that we're gonna break this down into segments and then each respondent or, or each panelist is gonna get a chance to, chance to talk. And I'm gonna do it in order. So the first question is to you, Barry. And then we'll get Dave's feedback and then Garth's feedback and then we'll allow you guys to respond to each other. But I'm interested in just sharing your perspective of this question. Having looked at the survey findings, what are a few things that stood out for you? Yeah, I think um, uh, one of the big things that stands out is uh, folks are saying, you know, what kind of business should sales enablement be? And a lot of the responses are saying that it's either a consulting uh, business, it's a service business, or it's a coaching business. Um, one of the things that weighs on my mind is I, I look even at Avalara and, and a lot of other companies I've been part of is that um, it seems like the manager isn't showing up, right? The sales manager is focused on reports. The sales manager is maybe selling themselves 
or they're focused on things and, and not focused on outcomes. I think the sales enablement survey that you put together, especially aligned to the question, what business would sales enablement be, is the sales enablement team saying they're finding themselves doing a lot of coaching. Uh, when I came in, um, I, uh, I didn't know that I was actually going to own a lot of the sales enablement piece, at least for account managers, but there's a counterpart who owns um, building things for the, the sellers, the folks who make the initial sale. And he's a single point of failure. It is a small company, but I asked him about what he was doing. And what I, what I realized was he was a person without a L&D background, but a, but, a, but a person who was a top performer who knew um, the, the complexity of sales tax, and it is really, really confusing and complex. Um, and so he was spending all his time coaching. He has office hours. He, he has um, sessions that are meant on specific topics or um, products every Thursday and Friday. But beyond the office hours, he teaches those products. But then, and then the people show up, and he finds himself really more coaching in terms of how to sell or how to uh, overcome uh, depression if you're not meeting your quota, or how to have a conversation with your leader. All of the things that we would have expected uh, the seller's manager to have been doing. And so when you look at these results, it seems like that's what people are saying. Sales enablement should be consulting and services. It should be coaching. It should be um, you know, like a design firm and an agency, et cetera. So, you know, I'm thankful to be in an enablement space. Folks allow me to play there because of my learning and de- development background. But it seems like we're we're saying maybe the issue is not with the sellers, but it's really with the managers and how they might enable their team. Wouldn't it be true that these teams could do a lot more, sell a lot more if the managers stepped up for what we need them to step up to? Gotcha. Thank you, Barry. David, how about you? What was your, having looked at the studies, what was your reaction and what stood out to you? One of the things that even with, you know, the, the macroeconomic context with everything happening with COVID-19, you know, I still, I left feeling you know, really good about the percentage, the respondents that said, for example, it was uh, about 90% of the audience said that he would, you know, if sales enablement were a stock, would you, they would either buy or hold. So I think it was over half would buy, uh, over a third would hold. So um, I, I wondered, uh, going into it, my hypothesis was that perhaps there would be more cynicism. And there were some comments that talked about that of, hey, first thing to go when you're looking to cut and trim, um, given environments like this, then it is per, potentially perceived as redundant, right, or uh, unnecessary. But I was, uh, I felt reassured that others see it the same way I do it. Of no, this is a, it's a strategic importance to the organization. And it talked about I think over half of the respondents did consider sales enablement to be really a linchpin to help execute transformational efforts in the sales organization. So, um, I the. Uh, the cynic and me went to some of the information about, well, who were the folks that were saying, you know, that, that it's not that. Um, and so I looked at the, the 10 of 70 folks that talked about how they, they believe it's peaked. And I'm um, just trying to understand more about kind of what, what can we glean from some of the things that they were saying. So, but that was the biggest thing for me is just what stood out is 
overwhelmingly, there were very few people that said sales enablement is just a fancy word for sales training. It's, it's much more than that. It is more strategic than that. It is looking at the organization does need to transform because buyer behavior has changed, you know, macroeconomic situations have changed and sales enablement plays a key piece to say, yeah, what are the behaviors? What are the skills? How does our organization need to continue to evolve to take advantage of the opportunity? Awesome. That's great reaction. So a data point for you, David, and, and for everybody in the panel. Uh, one of the things that we promised survey respondents is that they would get the findings back once we were able to polish them up. In emails back, we had nine does not work here anymore uh, email bounces from corporate, uh, corporate addresses. So that's 13% of our respondents uh, were no longer at their companies. So just a, just another data point in terms of that balancing act between, you know, how cynical and how optimistic do, does one look, just presenting facts. Mm-hmm. So moving forward, uh, Garth, how about you? What was your takeaways from the survey findings? Yeah, the, um, you know, as I kind of went through it, there seems to be a real hope for the, for the role of sales enablement. Uh, a lot of the statements were real positive. They were, they were, they were trying. It seemed like there was kind of a need for it, and kind of a hope that it could kind of help uh, the organization out at, at each of the different levels of the respondents. Um, within that, there didn't seem to be a lot of clarity as to what sales enablement really was. Uh, each person seemed to have a different point of view, and seemed to be targeting a different element of sales enablement. And so I think there's a little bit of um, lack of clarity there. But at the same time, while, they, while it seemed like almost each person was making some assumptions about what they thought it was, there seemed to be a desire that whatever it was, that it worked because there is the need. And so as they were describing kind of what they're hoping for, that it, would, that it was doing or, or talking about the, the value of sales enablement, they were all, there seemed to also be added to that an element that said, and we really need them to do this well. So it was uh, a little bit more in the written responses, but I thought that was really interesting um, because I, I experienced that a lot in, in the work we do where everybody has a different definition as to what it is or isn't or what it should be or shouldn't be. Um, but it's rarely the issue of we don't need it. We absolutely need it, whatever it is, is kind of the outcome that I hear mostly. So basically it's, hey, we know we got something and we need it, yep. but we don't really know what it is that we need. We hope it'll work out, but we're not really sure what it is. Yeah, and then, and then with that, each person says, oh, I mean, like, I guess if you point blank people, they would say, well, I think it's this, but that very likely would be different than the person sitting next to them. Gotcha. So with that, so Barry, what are your reactions to what David and Garth said? Well, with regard to what you were just talking about, I think it depends on um, who's on the team and, and, you know, at a point in time. I, I saw at Cisco, we, we had uh, just a, a group of individuals that were sort of creating a, and that was when I met um, uh, Brian, you know, charting the path for sales and then there was a re, uh, the great recession and there was a reorg and we had um, uh, early retirement and layoffs and then all of a sudden sales enablement is owned by a new crop of folks 
And those folks have a different set of skills. And so now you have to reset expectations with stakeholders. And so now sales enablement is being reinvented. And, and what happened uh, there in 2010, um, marketing, I don't know, they had some folks who um, uh, were pushed out of the marketing group, but they were still pretty talented. So they fell into the sales enablement space. And then those people who came from marketing were competing with the new group of sales enablement talent. And again, it's just a turn and swirl as it relates to what talent you have at a specific point in time. And stakeholders really get frustrated with that because they're asking, where's my old team? My old team was innovating and we wanted to create a product out of what that sales enablement team was doing. The new team is um, you know, a group of folks that really aren't that talented. And so now we found this vendor and we're going to outsource things for a little while to that vendor. And then there's another reorg. And so I think that that coopetition with marketing is a contributing factor. And I came, you know, to Avalara and, you know, something different is going on and maybe they don't, at least right now, have the same level of talent as, you know, a larger firm does. So I think everybody's in a different situation based on the talent that corporation has at that moment. Thanks, Barry. Uh, David, what were your reactions to Barry and Garth? Yeah, I think I, it makes sense. And um, one of the things that stood out in looking at some of the data was, I guess, to, to Garth's point about people coming at it with different perspectives I would agree with that of there, there are, you know, different flavors of it. And I think maybe that's an indication still of kind of being early in the maturity model of what is sales enablement. There was one of the comments in the survey responses that talked about, I think it was in the section, Hey, what, what should we have asked that we didn't? And somebody said something about, you know, value chain analysis and, and, and gap analysis with that value chain. It, it, it begs the question, wait, what is the sales enablement value chain? And, and maybe it's similar to what, Garth had commented on, you know, if you ask five different people what the sales enablement value chain is, um, you get five different answers. And so uh, I think doing a gap analysis is all well and good, but gap analysis relative to what? And so I think there's still an opportunity just where we are at with the function um, in, in, at, a, at a whole of just kind of where it is in terms of the maturity curve to get more standardized, more refined around what are what is the sales enablement value chain? What's the scope of what it includes, what it doesn't, et cetera? Gotcha. Thank you. And Garth, what was your reaction to Dave and Barry? Yeah, I had actually a similar response as, as I heard kind of David describing as he was talking to this with regards to um, there seems to be a lot of value to it from like the question about the stock question. And, and it did it did um it did catch me by a little bit by surprise that there was so much positivity because we often hear opinion fluctuate back and forth where on one hand there's positive opinions of sales enablement and on the other hand it's like they're not doing what we want or as much of what we want um and that seems to oscillate back and forth depending on who you're talking to and when you're talking to them um because it is difficult for um you know, for, in our company, sales enablement is a very, very small team, and the resources we have to put against it are, are, are relatively small compared to what you would expect in an organization the size of ours. And so, you can't be everything to all people by any stretch. And so, um, 
it was nice to see within the survey um, that there was such a positive opinion of, of the state of sales enablement and there wasn't a lot of, you know, let's scrap it and go back to a, a previous time. Um, there was a lot of, you know, this is something we need to, to do better at. Uh, it is on the rise. It is something that we need to um, almost double down on to get better versus this is something we need to stop doing. Got it. So some of the, th- some of the themes that I'm hearing from you guys, I'm going to uh, ask you guys to you know react to it because the goal here is to tease out common themes. A common theme that I'm hearing from you guys is, uh, for lack of a better word, this came up in one of the other interviews. It's sort of uh, a little bit of schizophrenia. Uh, and what, what I would share that by is even within the community who are bullish on sales enablement, there's a whole bunch of uh, different descriptions or different perspectives of it, which then I, I think to Barry's point, how would you represent this, that sales enablement department if the practitioners in the space have lots of um, a, a lack of clarity? How are you going to manage expectations of many, many different departments, each of whom are going to have their own slice to it? Is that a fair, uh, how do you guys react to that summary? Yeah, I think that's good. And, and I think um, what people do is they show up and they define sales enablement the way they need to based on what they're facing and who they have around them in the moment. And, and that confuses stakeholders over the long term because a vendor comes in like seismic and defines it as very differently than maybe how, how I have in the moment. And the, the stakeholders like, well, who do I believe? Is it Barry's definition or is it seismic's definition? And is it really a thing? Oh, never mind. I'll just go to marketing. How about you guys, Dave? Yeah, I think um, I, I would agree with that. I think some of it's just inherent to the fact that sales enablement as a function is so cross-functional. And so it's not like organizations are starting from scratch. There, there are elements of, you know, whether it be defining process and looking at you know, processes and tools to support enablement, whether it's bringing in the performance management aspects and, you know, how adults learn, um, whether it's looking at how do you enable the sales team to optimize some of our marketing investments with activating campaigns with customers. I mean, it, so everybody has, um, yes, there's a little bit of schizophrenia, but I don't necessarily think maybe that's too harsh of a word. Maybe not, but uh, I think every organization starts at a different place. So it's a matter of understanding kind of what all the different flavors of enablement are, understanding what what the desired outcomes of that organization are, and then understanding kind of where is the starting point, and then figuring out a tailored strategy for your organization based on those inputs. Gotcha. Thank you. How about you, Garth? Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think that sales enablement, it, it is a new enough of a discipline, yet it uses words that people understand inherently. And so there is the ability to have um, a lot of preconceived ideas as to what it is, even before you have definition of it. Um, and because it does sit between the sales team and marketing and, and, and operations, you know, it does end up like how much does it bleed into which area really depends on the company like like David was saying. And so I think there's a natural um, kind of ambiguity if you look at it from a general sense. And it is really the role of, of the enablement team 
to create clear definition as to what it means to this organization and to, to reinforce that. Now, what we found is that as we've created that definition and created that, that scope, then the teams around those roles have also then had to, or have stood up their own enablement teams to cover the things that weren't covered by the sales enablement team. And, and that's like either by under-resourcing that sales enablement team or not giving them enough of a mandate or things like that. So I think having clarity, having greater clarity as to what the role and the discipline of sales enablement is within an organization is useful. Like when you talk about finance or IT or marketing, you have some pretty good ideas in your head as to what those roles do. And I think there's a lot more ambiguity around sales enablement. Um, so I think that's something that will happen just with maturity uh, in, in, in that role. But also, uh, you know, a key part of it is, is making sure that sales enablement team is actually enabling the organization, the company, to understand what their role is and where they play and where they interlock with these other teams. So that's something that, that we as enablement experts really need to take as, as our responsibility uh, to reduce the confusion. Excellent. I think that's a great segue to question number two. Question number two, and we're going to start, David, you're going to be the first person, and Barry, you will be last this time. So it's sort of uh, rotating around. This question is, what is your favorite question and why? What, or what was your favorite question and why? My favorite question was the one around uh, which business strategy should sales enablement uh, you know, pursue? And it was interesting just to see the really the dichotomy of two different answers. It was either, you know, operational excellence or innovation. Um, the reason I liked it so much, right, even just going back to some of like the, you know, Peter Drucker basics of st strategy of like, you can't be everything to everybody. So really, where do you want to focus? And, uh, you know, I, I recognize coming into it, I've got my bias and, and, per and perspective of thinking, you know, oh, I'm in one of those, one of those two camps. And so I was really curious to say, well, I wonder what enablement looks like if I'm in that other camp. Like, you know, what, what does that look like and what strategies are, are the, those leaders pursuing? Um, so that one I hadn't given a whole lot of thought to, even though, uh, you know, Brian and I had talked earlier about the whole business and a business concept and it's fundamental to, you know, what is your strategy? Um, but just hadn't thought about it nest, like kind of pitting innovation versus operational excellence like that against each other. So uh, I'd love to learn, kind of dig more into that to see, what, uh, how folks respond. I didn't take, I didn't look at every single answer, but I'd love to spend some more time with the data to figure out what are those two different perspectives and how does sales enable, what does sales enablement look like uh, from those two different camps? So what's interesting is the, the reflection of, huh, if I were to run sales enablement as an innovation lab versus running sales enablement at like uh, Southwest Airlines, what would that look like? The people whom that question was favorite was their favorite did exactly the pattern of, of thought. I could have replaced your, your words with pretty much anybody else. And anybody, the people who liked that question the most had that same kind of thoughtfulness. Hmm. Where did you come down on it? What was your original go in and then by reacting and having to think through it, what were your, what were some of your reactions? In terms of which camp am I in? Right. 
Yeah, I'd say, so, you know, I'm more risk averse, I'm more conservative. I was taking the approach of, uh, you know, operational excellence. This is about understanding you know, the process and, and looking at, all right, well, for us to get the desired outcomes, what are behavior gaps and knowledge gaps that we need to close of given the existing things? I, 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 had, I haven't traditionally approached it of, to say, well, how can I like, re, reinvent the process to be even more efficient, right? Or think of turn things on its head to innovate differently. It's more about just really seeking to understand and optimize kind of the current, you know, mental framework of how all this stuff works together. Awesome. Thanks. And for, uh, thanks for letting me put you a little bit on the spot there. So Garth, how about you? Uh, what was your favorite question and why? I got to admit the who are you? I mean, a deep existential question in the middle of a survey got my attention first. Um, but then the response options were a little bit more plain. So maybe I'll pick another one. Um, the one that I really kind of liked was the, um, which of the statements matched your opinion of sales enablement profession? Um, you know, has it peaked, has it declined, or is it on the rise? Um, and I was surprised because I, I realized that there, that as a profession, it is a little bit um, newer than a lot of them. But I have, it has been around long enough that I thought um, that the pivot on this would be a lot stronger towards it has either peaked or in some cases it might have declined. But it was nice to see that, you know, the state of sales enablement from, from the respondent's point of view was that it is growing, um, that it is on the rise. And um, to me, that means there's a lot more that we can do and there's the need for us to do it. Excellent. Thank you so much. And Barry, how about you? What was your favorite question and why? Well, I always like to see, you know, where folks are providing the most um, uh, tough, tough love feedback. So I like why is sales enablement on the decline? Uh, that seemed to get folks uh, really to open up. And one, one of the responses was, it seems that sales enablement is, is getting fused with sales and marketing and the availability of tools is going to result in a decline. Um, and, and also just when th things get tough and cost is an issue, the enablement and the training is always the first to go. And I've, I've kind of experienced that um, over time as well. I was meeting with Seismit last week and they were showing me the, you know, an implementation of their tool um, and how they were tapping into the marketing uh, brand folder and, you know, the content that was exposed on the internet and both the intranet and pulling it all together uh, like the degree platform does. And I realized that, yeah, you're right. Um, once these tools get a bit more mature and if they're implemented well, marketing leaders, um, the CMO, for example, for our company is actually saying, why would you need sales enablement if I implement seismic in the right way? I mean, the, the data sheets, the, the one pagers and so forth that marketing is creating and some of the, um, you know, user generated content that some people in sales build really could just be funneled through a seismic tool. And it's not very clear then why you actually need the sales enablement function. So that's what kind of stands out to me. What is the technology that driving marketing to believe they should have conversations that lead to the elimination of sales enablement and marketing taking over uh, everything once again, that, that, that 
civil war between marketing and sales enablement is always a huge, huge thing that I, I like to kind of watch for. Awesome. So Dave, you went, David, you went first. What are your reactions to Barry and Garth's reaction to their favorite questions? I'll respond to Barry's. I, I actually really like that question too of, uh, you the cynic in me, like I said before, I want to go to, right, who's, who's not thinking like I am and why are they thinking that way? So the question of, you know, why do you think it's on the decline? But I actually honed in on a different response. So rather than the sales and marketing and, and tools piece, um, there was a, a response or a couple of responses that talked about just that age-old conundrum of like, activity versus results. And that one hit home you know, really for me, I think there's still a huge opportunity in the industry for, um, I, I think that there is this, and this is a, this is a, a gut reaction, not based on data, um, but it's, I, I believe that sales enablement professionals, there's a, a difference in kind of how, how we would approach the the kind of consulting and services and advisory advice advice that we give to sales leaders in terms of dissecting, you know, knowledge and behavior gaps to get to desired outcomes. I think there's a gap between what sales enablement leaders think and then what sales leaders think. I think oftentimes I still find myself, you know, getting the question of, well, Hey, can I just see your calendar? Can I, can I just, uh, the calendar of, of things that you're delivering, you know, wh where's the list of all the stuff, that you're doing to support the organization. And I really want to trans, you know, to, to change that conversation to where, you know, yes, there is some degree of having a regular cadence of continuous learning and development, but it's not about activity, it's results. And I think that's where, in terms of it being on the decline, I think myself included, all enablement functions are challenged with how do we quantify really the impact that we're having and, and be able to show, you know, with demonstrable proof that this is having a positive return on investment. And it, it's not easy. Um, we're making strides, but to me, that's the kind of the biggest risk I see of just being able to substantiate the value. Awesome, 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 awesome. So how about you, Garth? What was your reactions to your peers and what their favorite question answers were? Yeah, the um, I really did like the uh, the question around the um, which business strategy uh, should sales enablement follow. I think because um, in my company um, that discipline and is is kind of in the early stage of its maturity, so it is largely around the operational excellence. And I think once you get some of the the block and tackle stuff in place, there's there's you know, driving the innovation is where you get the real re return on investment. So, you know, it starts off with simple training programs that we're driving everybody through. Then you build out your competencies and things, stuff like that. So people can start driving their own development. Um, and, and then you kind of mature from there. But what, when sales enablement gets really fun and really exciting is when you get a lot closer to what the sales team is doing and then you're optimizing those tools specifically for how they're selling with the customers they're selling to. And so that uh, you get smart enough that um, when they're like, ah, I wish I had a document that did blank, you know, they would, they would, it would be right there waiting for them. It's kind of the ideal so that you are the support in driving higher velocity in sales execution 
but it does take time. So I, I you know, what I appreciated David's uh, perspective on that. And, and I think that, and I, and I wonder if, you know, which of those you would pick would also be directly connected with the maturity of your sales enabling organization and how they've actually um, taken over more of that sales enablement role so that they're not just doing the, the you know, the programs and, and comms, but they're actually expanding it into more robust things where the tooling is, is more highly sophisticated to the needs of, needs of the seller, not just the needs of the marketing, which is how the reason, you know, part of the reason why the sales enablement discipline even exists today is because people forgot the salesperson in the midst of, of all of this. So I thought that was a really interesting perspective and I, I appreciate David bringing it up. And, and the, the idea of the tooling is really kind of interesting to me. And I think this is one that we're going to, that we struggle with. We struggle with this in, in, from a training perspective. We also struggle with this from an enablement perspective is you always buy the great tool that does the job, but if it's not implemented well, and if it's not done in line with the, with the training and the support and the reinforcement and all those things, then suddenly you have these incredibly great tools that everybody hates and they're not working. Um, I started my career working uh, years ago in helping salespeople use their automation tools as a part of their role. And you could easily see just from the first day of training which companies were going to use it and get a ton of value out of it and which ones weren't. And it really depended on how close it was to how the salespeople would use it. Like how do, how do they do their day-to-day job and does the tooling really support them do, doing that? And was the tooling designed to help somebody else or to help that salesperson drive uh, their business? And so I think that as we look into that, it'll be interesting to see that tug of war continue. But even with great tools, that in no way diminishes the need um, for a good sales enablement uh, support of those tools uh, and making sure that they land and, and they're used. Awesome. Thank you. So Barry, you are the um, the anchor person here on this on this <laughs> relay. What what were your thoughts or reactions to everybody else's dialogue or or contemplation about the future sales enablement question from your peers? Well, I'm just so thankful that that my peers are experiencing the same thing as me, right? And and that is the product teams push us to build. Um, not necessarily uh, programs or end-to-end learning experiences. They just they they push us to build things by Friday or by <laughs> next Thursday, right? And the next thing you know, everyone's wanting you to put together a taxonomy so that you can categorize the 1,349 things you build a month and all the random acts of sales enablement. And you, you know that's that's what we're good at, right, is, is designing these things. And next thing you know, we realized we, we didn't have the tough conversation to say maybe less is more and, and, and who is our customer. Because I think it, it's, it's so inside out rather than outside in, right? It's, um, it's uh, oh, I'm here to support the product team because the product team has said to me, it must be true that I've got to build training for their their dot release or for their major release. And oh, great, my company has 19 products that isn't nicely put into a a solution. So is our customer the product team or is our customer the sellers or is our customer, you know, the the companies that are buying um, uh, what we're producing, 
right? What the company that you work for is producing. And I think that not everyone on, is on the same page. So we stop fighting and we just say, okay, we've got a team of people who can build stuff. So let's just build it. Let's um, do a QBR and count up all the things that we build, then go present that to the chief operating officer. And we'll get credit, not for a great return on investment, but because we built 123 knowledge articles per week, you know, and we can calculate that it only took four days per knowledge deliverable, et cetera, et cetera. Thus me need more headcount. Yay. We get to survive another year. Uh, So it's about counting rather than uh, communicating value. And I think we just get stuck in that. Right. And then if I'm a salesperson and I have 123, what did you call them? Knowledge articles? Yeah. Um, How would I use 123 knowledge articles? You don't. (laughs) You don't use any of them. You actually ask for coaching one-on-one by the sales enablement guy or from your manager. So I take office hours from your peer. Um, I was trying to, as you were describing your peer at Alvaraberry, I was trying to determine whether or not he's running, he's a professor or or if he's a psychologist. And I I was sort of balancing, you know, are the office hours to provide therapy or the office hours to provide courseware? And to me, I was trying to plot it out. It sounded like 50-50. Yeah, it's both. Okay. Yeah, and it, it's a single point of failure. And so that's a really big deal. So we're getting up to the last question. I did, did want to share with you guys something that I found pretty interesting. So this is our fourth panel. And the top two questions that have been resonating the most with the other panels were the letter to shareholders question and who is the customer sales enablement. And I think this is pretty funny Skip Miller said, I thought that was the stupidest question until I read the answers. And it's, it's, it's pretty revealing. So I think it's pretty interesting what you guys thought were the most important that are outliers from, you know, your other cohorts. So what I would recommend that you guys do is listen to the other, other panels and see how we can build on everybody's perspectives and add more of a tapestry here to this. But I thought that was, I thought that was fascinating. So with that as a backdrop, it's crystal ball time. I'm going to ask you guys to dust off your crystal balls. No, you can't take your magic eight ball out, right? That's not, that's not what we're after. But your crystal ball, where do you see the future of sales enablement from here? So, Garth, you've been, uh, you're up now, and then we'll you know, rotate back around. So, Garth, tell us your crystal ball forecast of where you see the future of sales enablement from here. Hmm. The I love that, that you sounded like Sarnak already. That's exactly mm. right. I have, I've got my hand, uh, you know, in kind of an arrow under my chin, thinking <laughs> deeply. That, like sounded like Sudhu Scott, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, it's a little murky, um, but as I look, gaze deeply into it, um, I, think this, I think the role of sales enablement, and, and I have seen this theme over and over again, is that there is a, a real need to drive greater performance out of the sales team. And the performance isn't connected to a lack of skill. It's not exclusively a lack of tools. It's, it's you know, a lack of being heard. It's that 
you know, sales manager capability. I mean, there's just so many dimensions to this problem that's, that's there and there's really nobody else that's tackling it. Um, and I have conversations with marketing regularly. They have no idea what a salesperson is or does in any tangible way. And, and none of the other one, other people do. And then when you go into the sales organization, they're so focused on themselves that they, that they don't, can, they, they can't make that connection to the others. So the sales enablement role, um, as you know, as I look into the future is something that's going to get stronger and more robust. And I do feel that it will be less about doing things and creating widgets and producing stuff. And it's going to be a lot more about connecting these organiz these different groups together and, and creating kind of the glue in the middle to make sure that when there is content that's coming out of the marketing team, that it is actually designed to help the salesperson actually sell. Um, that when you have uh, you know things going on through the operations team and tooling to help the sales team, that it actually supports their sale. That the data we're collecting actually helps the salesperson understand how to do things better, um, and that that it's connected there and that it resonates. Um, and it's about you know them being able to see what are the things I can do differently, because they're they're you know they're smart people, they're capable people. You know they just need insight. So that they can then drive a lot of their own change, and I, so I think what we'll find is the sales uh, enablement function will mature to the point where it really then does deliver on the promise of sales enablement that we've been touching in a lot of different ways, but in a more holistic way within an organization. Uh, I think we have a, way, a, a pretty long ways to go to get to that level of maturity. I think we're tackling it in a lot of different pieces. But when we get, but I do believe that um, we've come a long way in a very short amount of time and the next, you know, five years will be really interesting to see if us as sales enablement uh, practitioners have the courage to stand up and stop doing so much and just do so much better in a targeted way that really the sales team walks away and says, thank you. Um, because we've actually really met them where they are and helped them drive themselves forward. Um, so that's what I see. Excellent. 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 Okay, Barry, how about you? What does your crystal ball see for the future of sales and A1 from here? Well, I think the, the civil war between marketing and sales enablement is going to be won by marketing. Um, when you look at the marketing uh, functional organization, you've got brand marketing, digital experience, channel optimization, campaign operations, marketing analytics, et cetera. And for some reason, the CMOs always leave out um, sales enablement. And I think that, that sometimes training teams try to do that and, or there's a sales enablement team or the sales team sort of owns it themselves. I think marketing is going to give up the ghost and, and mature and say, that's a thing that we always struggle with and for some reason, people always create a separate entity. Why don't we just pull that in and make it a very clear discipline um, within the marketing uh, organizational structure? That's what I think is going to happen. And, and then the marketing team is going to, to, to write better, to design better, and partner with companies like Seismic in, and probably lead to sales enablement as we see it today. Um, just not being around, not being there. It's going to be a, a clear discipline within the marketing organization. 
Wow. I love it. That's a, that's a very challenging, bold pro, uh, pro, prognosis, I guess. Uh, that's great. All right. Our last person. So, David, how about you? The, the crystal ball, bring us home. Where do you see a sales enablement going from here? I believe that uh, there'll be several things that force the sales enablement function to mature. And, and I'll highlight a few of the areas. I mean, that's, so that's not all that thought provoking, but um, the, uh, the areas to mature one is just being a, uh, just like I think the great work that the sales enablement society did to define the definition of sales enablement. I think a next step, um, and maybe this is already happening, but like really understanding what are the, for lack of a better word, what are the functional competencies of a sales enablement team? I really like what Barry mentioned earlier, talking about what depends on the perspective and the skill sets you have in the team. When I start thinking about, you know, all the things that a, a good, you know, world-class sales enablement function can and should do, I don't know that there's an individual that has all the requisite skill sets. I really do think it's about um, finding leaders that can build a diverse team with different perspectives, ranging from sales acumen to process orientation to how adults learn to having um, you know, technologists that understand opportunities for automation and uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning and how that can advance things, um, looking at the discipline of change management, um, being data-driven, and then also just marketing savvy. Uh, sales enablement in many respects is like internal organization marketing to the sales organization. So I think it's rare, it's gonna be difficult to find, again, professionals that have all of that. So I think it's about building a team of folks that bring all those different capabilities and experiences to bear. But nonetheless, um, by defining those and being more explicit with what those sales enablement functional competencies are, it starts to provide a more explicit development path for folks that, that, that come into and want to take part in sales enablement. I think other areas of maturity will be, I think the uh, executive leadership's expectations for sales enablement will and should continue to increase. And so they should be able to go to say, look, I know there are these eight flavors of, I'm making that number up, of sales enablement. Um, and sales enablement's not a function, it's a cross-functional process or, or a way to work together. We need these four things because we think that's going to be most impactful to the business. So sales enablement team, I need you to deliver on these four things instead of it being a little bit more amorphous or ambiguous um, than it is today. I think the other pieces are, uh, yeah, we've got to get more mature around metrics. So just like we enable the sales team today to have conversations with customers about understanding the delta between where they're at today and where they're trying to get to, identifying what the required capabilities are for to get to this desired end state, and asking the customer to say, yeah, and how are you going to measure that? We've got to do the same thing with our internal teams to understand how are we as a sales enablement function going to be measured. And we need, um, it's not only on us as sales enablement professionals, but also frankly on the, the sales leadership team to look at, do we have the right sales data and sales analytics support to really take a look at, is this moving the needle or not? And so some of that's going to be more A-B testing, you know, more pilots of did this work, does this not? And a lot more just kind of agile work so that we fail fast. Um, things that work, great. Let's continue to invest and improve it. But if it's not, all right, awesome. Throw it out. Let's try something else. I got to ask a question for all of you guys. First of all, 
every one of your answers was incredibly thoughtful, self-reflective. You connected the dots to, to, to your other departments. Uh, you thought globally, you, you answered in the short term and also projected out to the long term. All of you guys had a same format uh, and it's been different from other folks. I'm just curious from a Myers-Briggs standpoint, what are your guys' uh, personality profiles? I'm just super curious. Uh, this is Barry. Mine is uh, ENTJ. Okay. Same here. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm barely E, but <laughs> barely E. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I, I don't know mine off the top, but I'm, uh, I'm more impact. Um, David and I are pretty different. <laughs> Interesting. So that was just, I, I, I was just blown away. You guys did a fantastic job. So I'm going to, I'm going to use that to transition on. So if you're listening insider nation, and if you see any of these guys around, please buy them a beer, even though Barry doesn't need to have a beer. Apparently Barry's bunkered out on his, <laughs> on his own beer supply. Still, it's a sign of respect. I think it's, it, it takes a tremendous amount of courage and a tremendous amount of support for you as a community for these guys to be this open and, and sharing. I'm, I'm incredibly, incredibly impressed. So Barry, David, Garth, thank you so much for your participation. That was excellent. These are not easy questions to answer. Open-ended questions never are. Uh, Brian, can you wrap up or, or summarize what, what you heard to, to, to the findings and let's get our panelists to agree on what they've agreed on? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I echo those comments. You know, uh, guys, on the last podcast that we're dropping, we actually discovered a new a new disease on that that previous podcast called productitis. And uh, you guys can hear about it on the previous episode. But on this on this one, you know, uh, Barry, you done killed off sales enablement and gave it to marketing. So <laughs> so we're, we're gonna probably have to unpack that a little bit more. But that was well, great. it's gonna be funny because he's gonna be a hero among our marketers because I'm literally interviewing CMOs this week. So he, you know, yeah. we'll get Barry to be their advocate. <laughs> yeah. I thought yeah. that's what everyone thought. Yeah, I'm surprised. Well, so let me, so that's going to be the first theme is uh, I'm going to net it out as doing well may be different than doing what's needed. So I think that's, that's the, the takeaway that I'm getting at from you guys here is this idea that doing what's right it might be different than what people would consider doing well right now. Like for example, you talk, you're talking interconnected, what sales teams need, not what, you know, what they want. The, the idea of blending, you know, this, this blend that's happening with frontline sales managers and the enablement teams, you know, that's, that's, you know, that, that's an interesting discussion point for a lot of enable, enablement leaders to have. Well, it's the role of management. What's the role of enablement to move the performance needle. Um, you guys talked about courage and, doing what's right and being more focused and laser beam than obviously uh, Barry's comment about marketing. So that's my first theme is doing, doing well may be different than what's doing what's needed. And you guys are talking about what's needed, not necessarily what people want. So what do you guys think about that? I'll start with you um, with Garth. Do you, do you agree with that as a, a theme of your discussion today? Yeah. I mean, I, I might be just a little self-focused here, but I mean, that's, that is absolutely the theme that's kind of been the resonating theme for the last couple of years for me. Um, coming from a, from a bit of a training background, um, just us doing simple training properly, like, like thinking actually how do adults learn, you know, bringing them into a room and telling them a hundred things within, 
you know, a 12-hour day is highly ineffective for driving retention, right? And we've known this since, you know, the late 1800s, and yet we haven't found a way to be more thoughtful as to how we uh, deliver content so that people can retain it. So um, mm -hmm. th that is an ongoing theme that we've been really, really looking at is, you know, how do we how do we convince people to real or how do we help people realize that what they're asking for won't get them the result that they're looking for? There's a different way to do it, mm -hmm. and, and that's that's been a struggle for us. And um, but I think that's a great theme that you pulled out. Okay, thanks. Well, I, I got it from you guys. You guys are awesome. All right, David, what do you think? Do you agree with that? I I agree with that. I think it's laced. The undertone is uh, it, there is cautious optimism or maybe it's optimism for the future of the function. It's a recognition that, yeah, th things do need to evolve and mature. And certainly one of those is, yeah, focused on doing the, the right things, not just what everybody wants you to be doing. Yeah. Okay, great. And Barry, what about you doing what's needed versus what other people are asking for? As a theme, yeah, you agree with I, that? I, yeah, I just think um, uh, the marketing leader, <laughs> not the sales enablement leader since sales enablement doesn't exist anymore in the future. <laughs> No, but the leader, right, of either the learning organization, sales enablement organization, or marketing uh, needs to be able to have a tough conversation. I wrote a product engineer who wanted some API training to all customer service agents by next week. And, you know, you've got to be able to stand up to that individual to say, uh, let's focus on what they need to learn, where they are in the evolution in terms of their skills. And we've done performance assessments and we know, um, you, you know, where they are today. And let's make sure that we can net it out because we know, because we've spent time with these sellers um, that, um, you know, they're busy and they don't want to take training and not for nothing. They, um, they just, they can't keep a lot of this complexity in their head. So why the heck are we teaching them that anyway? Let's focus on the needs. And if you don't have a strong leader who can push back either on the CMO or the, or the product team or whomever else is asking for it, then the individual contributors in the learning organization is going to just do what they know how to do, which is pump out a lot of content and no one's going to be, um, in the right place. So that's, that's what I think it, it, it really is about the leaders in the sales and urban organization. And if they can say no, if they can't, they're just going to overwhelm salespeople with content. Mm -hmm. right, great. The second theme I have is perceptions reality. So if you guys, you know, if you remember if everybody has a different answer about what sales enablement is, you know, what's the impact of that? And I think Garth said it, if everybody has a different um, perception about enablement, they're not going to agree and other departments are going to pop up to cover. And uh, if you're not clear. So if, if, if that is the perception you're setting is you're not clear, then that's, that's going to create some impact. If vendors don't agree with leaders, the seismic discussion, Barry, you pointed that out. Then uh, you said, you know, if, if, if the seismic definition and how they approach it is different than you, how you approach it, what's that create in the mind of your executive team? Uh, if marketing doesn't agree with enablement, then what does the executive team think? If you start in one place and evolve to another constantly, are you being confusing <laughs> to internal people, right? So these are, these are aspects, and in sales, you know, perception's reality. 
So if you're not unified, you're not unified. If you're not clear, you're not clear. It's black and white in sales. So that perception is reality theme was loud and clear here. And I know you guys are, you know, you're synthesizing or analyzing the existing data. This is the data talking and, and now I'm summarizing you guys. But, you know, one of the things that I'm pointing out here is this perception is reality and, and watch out the, watch out for the gotcha around that. So uh, start with you, Barry. What do you think about that as a theme? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, that, that perception uh, is the reality. And that's why I think um, that setting expectations is so important. Why, why looking at the data and seeing what the trends is and, and having the conversations around that um, you've got to manage those perceptions and be able to connect the dots, even when you're just reading email or you're seeing what people said on chat or you're hearing back back in stories about this person said that person said he said she said you really need to pay attention to some of that noise because that gives you the detail on what the perceptions are and what um negative value is being perceived by your stakeholders if you don't manage that perception you're you're not going to be successful even if you can calculate and um show the true return that's actually happening Okay, great. Thanks. How about you, uh, Garth? Perceptions, reality as a theme. Yeah. Um, I think I liked your description of it a little bit better than, than the words of it. Um, I, I think it's really about defining and creating clarity and over-communicating clarity. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think as you do that, because you're exactly right, without that, that clarity, um, you really do create a lot of misperceptions. Um, people expect different things than what you're delivering and you're always kind of having to r- run a defensive in defensive mode, trying to justify what you're doing rather than having a clear plan based on clear expectations and then delivering on that. Um, and I've just seen that over and over and over again in the sales enablement space. And so I do. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree with the sentiment as the, uh, as the theme that we've been, we've been discussing. And clarity, clarity's being critical to that. Yeah, that makes sense. Like I think of the Lancioni stuff where it's just, you know, communicate clarity, reinforce clarity. Like you can't be clear enough almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, with a role that, that has so much ambiguity around it, I think that that need to be clear is even more of a responsibility of the enablement team to, to, to kind of lead in creating that. Gotcha. And then David, what about your, your take on this? Uh, my, my, my view of the summarization is perceptions, reality. And then, you know, building off of that, if, if the perception is you're not clear, uh, that's going to have downstream impact. Yeah, I agree with that. I think uh, an, an implication being just as we teach our enterprise sales teams, that, you know, about the importance of and how to do strategic account planning and aligning you know, the value that our technology helps to solve with what the customer cares about. I think we have to drink our own you know, medicine there from an enablement perspective to think about our, all of our key stakeholders and are we building a strategic account plan to influence them, right? And understand, you know, who are the, who are the proponents? Who are the, the uh, detractors? What's the plan that we're doing to, you know, turn folks around or to educate folks that to a different point of view 
and how this is you know what we're off what we're offering here is a better path to getting to desired results and we've got to you know line that up to speak to their language of what they care about um, so I think an opportunity of just more of the how is putting that into play gotcha all right and my last theme and I know we're running out of time but my last theme that I, I came up with which was the third one is um, know what you need to say no to so know, knowing what you need to say no to and, and what you can say no to. So you guys are very good at, um, you know, this idea of stakeholder management. And we've talked a lot about that in this podcast series, but what can you say no to might be different than what you need to say no to. And that's a theme here too. You know, the value that you create sets an expectation that's placed on you. So if you're going to be supporting product all the time, you're the product support megaphone. That's the expectation that's placed on you. Um, if you are, are, are part of the customer uh, you know, journey or the, the product team and the seller, what, what are they buying from you? And what are you going to say no to? I think um, that was what Barry brought up. And then you know, David was talking about this idea of building out what needs to be built based on the, what the sales team's asking for and what they need. And then uh, I think it was either Barry or Garth said, it, you know, is less more. I think it was Garth, this idea of, you know, if we're going to provide something that's higher quality and how do you set an expectation around that? So, you know, it's a bit of the, the chicken and an egg theme, but the, the netting it out is what the value that you create uh, sets the expectation. In other words, know what you need to say no to and what you can say no to. That's the, the theme there. It's what can you say no to and what, what do you need to say no to? So I'll, I'll just leave that open to any of you guys because we're running short on time. But uh, what do you guys so, think of that third team, third theme? Yeah, just just for clarity, Barry said it first, and I piggybacked on it. So his he was the one that reinforced the uh, less is more. I think, um, and I think that's a great theme. I, I think it ties in really closely to doing, you know, knowing how to do what's what's right. Um, I think those tie in very nicely together. Sometimes what I like to do is I'll ask the um, sales leader or the support leader, what is your allotment of time for which we can deliver learning on a monthly basis? And they'll always cap it. Like they'll say something like one hour a week. And I actually use that to my advantage. And then, cause when I go back to the prioritization and the governance with the product teams or whomever's trying to push things out, I'll, I'll use that to say you're pushing more things out than we can actually consume. So you can continue doing that and we won't, you know, uh, halt you from going live with your product, but no one's going to sell it. it the, the company needs to get its act together with regard to some kind of governance because we don't have the 11th mile individuals who can, who can actually do their job and keep up with the pace of the new things that are coming out. So I try to create a constraint and just make it easy for myself in terms of the pushback and saying no. Great. Those are great points. I just add, yep. It's all about prioritization, which is the same, same thing I think of what you say no to, but it's like in terms of how you how are you prioritizing? How are you saying no to? It's got to be grounded in, you know, desired outcomes, kind of that level four metric that we're looking at. But it's also, I think, inherent that you have to have some kind of, uh, you know, start with the end in mind. What, what's your architecture for what you're building and thinking about it modularly so that when you say yes to something, you understand you're not just saying yes to that thing in and of itself in a silo. You're saying yes, and here's how it fits into the bigger strategic construct. 
Yeah, that's important. Because that way they can go back and you can create a quote unquote first year experience, for example, for new folks that come in. Because um, I think that it's easy to create a, a path for new people. But what's hard is how do we keep, um, you know, existing folks who have great deal of expertise, how do we fit this ongoing training or ongoing enablement into where they already are, especially when the folks that have been around for like four or five years, they don't want to take any training at all. So you're right. If it fits into that, you know, this is what the job role is and how you would come up to speed as a new person, then, then you're doing the right thing. Great. There you go, Scott. Those are the three themes uh, for today. Um, this idea that clarity is critical, know what you can prioritize and uh, know where your value is coming from. Great. Thank you, Brian. And just to wrap up, what is one thing that you learned? So I think we, uh, we lost David. So Garth, how about you? It's one thing that you learned today. The state of sales enablement seems to be super strong still, and it's growing and getting better. Um, you know, with some of the pressures we have in the role, we, we feel like it's like, like maybe we're, um, maybe there's too much pressure against us as we're moving forward, but it, it does look like things are, are moving positively in a good direction, which is, which is exciting. Okay. How about you, Barry? Well, I, you know, I killed off sales enablement and uh, moved it over to the marketing org. So I looked at the data again and, and you know, what's interesting. N no one said that. No one said what I said about killing off sales enablement. Nobody thinks that marketing and sales enablement are a competitor. And so that, that that's something I learned. I, I thought everyone thought that way. So that was a big surprise. Well, you haven't heard the feedback from the CMOs that I've been interviewing yet. So you're not a minority. <laughs> Just put it, put it that way. So thank you so much. Uh, this was a fantastic panel. Thank you, Brian, for a fantastic summary. So this is a wrap of our fourth panel of um, P uh, sales enablement leaders with more of a training and L&D background. Please make sure that you join us on May 19th at 11 a.m. You can register at going to www.insidese.com. Thank you so much. Stay tuned, Insider Nation, for our next panel. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.